Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, so welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I have a guest joining us, all those guests that we promise. So Mary Partica is joining us, and she runs the lifestyle blog, right? Like Clover and Fig. And she used to be a book blogger. So we're really excited, Mary, to talk to you about all things books. And so our topic of the week is going to be travel, so books that take place in other places. And we're also going to talk a little bit about how we feel about reading when we're traveling. Like, is it the same experience? Do we view things a little bit differently when we're in the middle of leisure or immersed in reading in, I guess, the culture of a different country or a different city? So we'll try to talk a little bit about those things. But to get us started, what has everyone been reading? But first of all, before we even get to what we've been reading, we had our show on books to read about you know, for Black History Month, African American culture, African culture. And Mary had written to me that she had two books that she recommended. And we got so caught up in our discussion that I forgot to let everyone know what they were. So Mary, why don't you tell us about those? Sure. Um, so the first Putting one... spot a little bit. No, that's... <laughs> you are, exactly. Um, so the first one that I think I had emailed you um, was The Many Lives of um, the Many Wives of Baba Segi. I think that's the name of the book. I'm just trying to, to look it up yes, in my notes. that was one um, of them. Yeah, it's a really short read, and I actually received it as an advanced reader copy um, a few years ago, well, probably five years ago or so, and I sat down to read it, and it's a very small book, and I read it in one sitting, and I just thought it was pretty powerful and it's a pretty true example. I've spent quite a bit of time in, in, in Africa and different third world and emerging markets. And I just thought it was a good representation of what life could be like for women who um, are in a situation where there are many wives uh, and just the competitiveness and what's going on in the household. But the way that it's written is really smart and and fast-paced. And I just thought if anybody was interested in um, just reading something set in Nigeria, um, that's it's a really good book. And it's called The Secret Lives of Baba Segi Wives. Okay, so what, Gail, while Mary's gathering her thoughts, since I sprung that on her, why don't you tell us what you're reading right now, and then we'll get back to her other pick. Sure, 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 sure. So um, I finished the Michelle Obama memoir over the weekend and loved every page of it, every minute of it, um, 19 hours of it. So, Nicole, you're, are, did you finish it yet, or are you still reading it? I'm still reading it. It's so good. So good. Okay, so we can wait till you're done reading it, and then we can have a full discussion about it. But it was great. And I uh, am reading a book called The Wartime Sisters by Linda Cohen Lloydman, um, who I will be interviewing in D.C. in a couple weeks. And it's historical fiction that takes place during World War II in Springfield, Massachusetts. And I'm about halfway done and enjoying it a lot. And I just started, Nicole, the book you and I decided we were going to read together called The Dinner List. Um, that's what it's called, right? By Rebecca Searle. Mm-hmm. So what do you think so far? Um, 
I just started this that one on was audio. one that I was sort so of on the fence about reading. Curious to see what you gals think about this book because um, I've read it already. Did you like it? That's usually a sign that you didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just a really light read. So I, I will withhold my, yeah, my okay. commentary until afterwards. Normally when I, I, I listen to, to the podcast, I, I immediately start texting Nicole with my thoughts <laughs> if I've read something <laughs> so we can yeah. have a discussion. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, well, we'll probably discuss it in a couple weeks. Uh, my early advice is don't do it on audio. Okay. That's how I'm doing it. It's narrated by the author, and she's not a good narrator. Okay. I thought this was going to yeah. be pretty light. I had actually given it to my aunt, who I give all my pretty light books to, and even she couldn't get into it. She gave it back to me. <laughs> <laughs> really? She couldn't get into it? But I'm sure it'll be fine. Maybe Mary can come and she can book club discussion it with us. Sure. All right. That sounds good. <laughs> okay. So, Mary, are you ready? The other one, I'll just mention the name of it, which I think a lot of people have read because it came out um, in 2007, is A Long Way Home, Memoirs of a Boy Soldier. And that's a really, yeah, that's a really good heartfelt, uh, you know, it's tragic, of course, and terrible because of what he has to endure. But um, it's another really good book that I felt was pretty true to what's going on within within the culture. And so, um, so books I'm reading right now, I just finished reading The Night Olivia Fell. So I'm only reading one right now, which is The Girls at 17 Swan Street. Have either... So what oh. do you think about both of those? I mean, I, I've heard of both of them. The Night Olivia Fell is sort of supposed to be like... It's a little bit like a Laura Lippman kind of novel. A little suspense, but light women's suspense you know it's a what happened to a daughter so it's a a little bit of a mystery but it it's not too dark and tragic even though you know that the daughter is is hurt so without going into any spoilers (laughs) yeah the comparison to that book was oh gosh was it what kimberly it was a, I can't think of the name of this novel, but it was big a few years back. It was about this woman whose daughter is attending like this elite school and she falls off the roof or, you know, she's led to believe that she falls off the roof, but her mom starts investigating her life. I think it was like finding Kimberly or something like that. And this was, that was the comparison for okay when Olivia fell. Yeah, um, it, it's a, it's a. I mean, I read it in in two days, so it was, or I listened to it actually. Um, it was on Scribd, so I, I listened to it um, from there. So um, it's about you know Olivia's a senior in high school, and and she has a fall at night, and you you know all of this on the on the back of the jacket of the book. But um, her mother goes and rushes to the hospital. She's unconscious and is brain dead, and yet she's pregnant, and the mom just. Is, didn't know that she was pregnant and just thought her life was going in a completely different direction and just how she goes and investigates and makes peace with everything. The name of the book I was thinking about was Reconstructing Amelia oh, by Kimberly yes. McCree. I have, yeah. have not read that, but I have seen it and I've like put it on my list and taken it off my list. Just uh, I tend to do the annual scrub of the two read list on Goodreads and get rid of things and then they make it they make their way back. <laughs> Right. I think that one's on my shelf. So, um, Nicole, you recommend reading it? It was really good. I mean, it, 
That was one of those books, you know, when when you hear that a teenager has died right away or, you know, the mom gets the call that her daughter has fallen from the roof and, you know, the the school administration is really quick to say that it's suicide because, of course, they want to minimize any liability or fallout on their part. You know, it was one of those books, it was heartbreaking from the beginning because, like, you, you just searching for this way in your head, like what way can this turn out? Okay. But it's never okay from the beginning of the book. And she goes, she had raised her daughter alone. And I think one of the arguments that they have, like in the first chapter before her daughter goes to school that fateful day is she wants to know who her father is and she doesn't tell her. So she sees all these texts from her daughter, you know, it's like now you have so much information about your child when your child dies, because we have texts and we have Facebooks and DMs and all of this stuff. And so she's learning so much about what her daughter felt about certain things. And of course, it it's super poignant. It was very well done. Kimberly also, Kimberly McCree, she had another book, I think, that came out that might have been, you know, in that mystery vein, but I, I didn't read that one. But yeah, Reconstructing Amelia was really good. They sound like very similar books. Right. This is similar. This this Olivia doesn't know who her father is. Her mother's never told her. She goes and she happens to, you know. That's kind of re- yeah. really interesting because, you know, lately we've all been talking about, you know, Dan Mallory. And I think with his book, it came out that it was really similar to some 1995 movie that was out. But then also... I don't know. Plagiarism has been coming up again lately. The executive editor for the New York Times, Jill Abramson, she had written that new mm-hmm. book. And there was lots... Well, those are legit pla- plagiarism allegations. But just a lot of these books... I mean, with nonfiction, it definitely is plagiarism. And I guess with fiction, there's legit plagiarism, I guess, when you're copying and pasting certain passages or sentences but then there's also sort of we have so many plots that are so similar you know yeah well i mean at some point you know it's hard to come up with something totally fresh that's always things that are going to be reminiscent of others i guess the question is how much comparison is too much how much much reminiscing can you do (laughs) right right nicole how about you what are you reading So I'm reading this book called Looker by Laura Sims, and I'm trying to figure out whether I want to finish it or not, because it's one of those crazy mother books. It's like, it's about this woman whose life has basically fallen apart. She lives in this perfect New York neighborhood. There's this actress who lives across the street from her who has this perfect family that she sees all the time. And this woman just spends all of her time observing this woman and sort of slowly unraveling. Her husband has left her. You know, they tried, their marriage failed after, you know, failed in vitro fertilization. So it just seems like this woman is just going to continue to unravel and. Well, wait, who's unraveling? The the, the actress the or looker. the person who's doing the spine? The woman okay, who's looking it. at the actress. So, okay, you know that she's just sort of getting worse and worse and more irrational. So I'm like wondering, is there going to be a twist to this or or something that gives this a little bit more meaning than, you know, a crazy woman who couldn't get pregnant, lost her husband, is now stalking this actress who lives on her block. What's the genre of this book? I don't know, psychological. 
So it's like it's a psychological thriller, like, like it's a meant psychological to be. thriller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I guess right in this particular moment, there's just so distasteful about. I don't know. Yet another woman unraveling because she's getting a divorce and she wasn't able to have a baby. Got it. Yeah, so we'll see. It's getting a little stale, isn't it? <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm just like I've read this book <laughs> several mm-hmm. times. <laughs> yeah, seriously. That's Girl on the Train, isn't it? Right. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Right. She separates from her fiance who goes and marries someone else and has a baby and a happy family and she's just like Right, cuz she can't get pregnant. Falling herself falling apart. So, and you know, I'm sure you fall apart a little bit if you can't if that's one of your goals and dreams in life and you know, I know that that's hard on relationships. But hopefully you don't become a crazy stalker and you know, wish your actress neighbor harm. (laughs) You know, Gail, and I was thinking about you with this because she lives in a suburb of a city. They live on a block that has brownstones on it. So it sounds like Brooklyn. And she mentions this other couple who used to live in her building and they got pregnant and then moved to the city. So they haven't specified, but I feel like it should be New York, or maybe I just overlooked that. So I feel like you with, that, you with that book that I'm just like, but where is this though? Where is this brownstone? And a little hmm. bit, probably, but like you said, only because you've mentioned this. So now I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's funny that. So the book that we're referring to, where I was complaining about there being no setting, was the Hating Game. The Hating Game by Sally Thorne. And I don't know if I would have even noticed it, except someone else pointed it out. But I did read that her next book, which is 99% mine, I think, has the same issue. Oh, just like Vague City. Mm-hmm. Could be anywhere. Vague City and Vague Country. Like, I don't think you even know what country you're in. Because huh. I believe that the author is Australian. And I wonder if, like, she just was like, I'm trying to, you know, crack the, the U.S. market. And if I say that my book is set in Australia, that there may be people who dismiss it because they feel like that sounds crazy, which is timely given our topic today. But um, I wonder if that was part of it. Yeah, but Big Little Lies was set in Australia. True. And I also wonder if maybe if the author hasn't been here to the U.S. and so she's trying to recreate a city uh, based on just what she's seen in movies and TV and just has heard. So, you, you know, imagine writing a movie set or a book set in London and you've never been there, right? You'd get so much wrong. Just mm-hmm. naturally you would because you you don't you can't feel what the streets are like and what the avenues are like and going in the different neighborhoods and things, right? So I just I wonder I yeah, I would just I don't know why she would do that either. I would think you would just put it in a city, Sydney or Melbourne or something because we're all going right. to read it if right. it if it's been there and if you know, and we're either going to get lost, like, you know, what we're going to talk about today is in just kind of feeling a city based on where the author lives or, um, you know, put it on our list that I'd like to travel to or, you know, just at least feel feel a different culture. Well, you know, even if it's as similar to ours as Australia is in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting because it's almost like you can... It's annoying, but you can do that because about that book, like either of these books, if you say New York, you're like, okay, New York, but you could also say some other place because each city is similar in, okay, it usually has an iconic 
there's some kind of iconic landmark or neighborhood, you know, like you could Hyde Park, Central Park. You, so you could say like the big grand park that you had and anywhere that you lived, you, you could make that approximation. But I do totally think I'm just noticing this because we've had this conversation before. Or, you know, if I hadn't been thinking about what we'd said before, I probably would have just assumed it was New York. But like, this is Brooklyn and... And when people move, they move into the city. But the thing about this that makes me think it's not New York is that the the couple's family is expanding. They're going to have three kids and you don't move into the city if you're, (laughs) unless you're very, very rich. Right. Usually it's the other way around. Right. All right. So let's get into travel. I know you both travel a lot. So what are our travel recommendations? And let's just, let's just start getting into it. I mean, I have a couple of books that I feel that the kind of foreign setting really <clears throat> enhanced the book, or I, you know, maybe that's why I liked the book in the first place. So uh, we can talk about, uh, you know, if we each have some of those, we can talk about those. <clears throat> as far as reading while traveling, um, I certainly look forward to travel every year. And one of the main reasons is because that's when I get the huge chunk of my reading done, because I can immerse myself. I don't have all the daily demands. I can sort of like lounge around in bed later. I can sleep later. I can go to bed later. And I have much more interrupted time, uninterrupted time for reading, especially if it's the type of vacation where you're spending, you know, more time on the beach or the pool. So I look back on a lot of the reading I've done and like, I can remember where I was because I feel like it's a much more immersive experience. So it's not so much the location of where I am, it's just that the pace of my life has really changed. That's a really interesting point. So, Mary, how do you usually read? How do you usually read at home versus when you're at vacation on vacation? Do you have a big difference, like Gail? Um, yeah, I, I definitely do. I I tend to listen more when I'm at home because you know I'll walk my dogs and maybe just take a, a morning walk or something and so I'm, I'm listening a lot more so I probably can listen to two books a month and and then read a book or two a month um, and then if I'm on vacation I'm almost never listening but I'm, I have more time to read and of course you can read a book on the plane depending on how far you're traveling right and if you're sleeping yeah I was just thinking yeah. those flights just yeah yeah and also um, sometimes I travel with my father and so, you know, if he's 82, so if he's going to bed at 9 um, or 10, you know, you, you get a couple extra hours almost every day where you can just go in and sit somewhere and, um, in the hotel or something and just read. And so that's, that's actually a really nice memory that I have, you know, just going out and exploring Paris with him or something and, and then settling in for the night and then just going in and reading you know i i think on on that recent trip i've read almost a book a day you know maybe a day and a half or something because well you have so much time right you have a lot of downtime when Mm -hmm. you're traveling with an 82 year old you know which i cherish the the moments of getting to do that with him but it it does give you welcomes time to be able to do that oh that's so sweet (laughs) yes yeah He's a great person to travel with. He loves to travel, too. So. Nicole, what about you? You read a ton at home and when you're traveling. So do you feel like there's any difference? Uh, I d- 
not really. I don't think so. I think there's more of a difference at home, and it depends seasonally. Like spring and summer is coming up, so it's easier to take nice long walks. Uh, like I said, I've said before, I think to just walk to lunch or walk to meet a friend. I can set it up so that I leave an hour ahead, and I can take a nice walk, and then usually I will listen to an audio book while I do that. So I guess that becomes more of my time where I listen to audios. In the winter, when I'm in a lot more, I tend to stick to books. So I haven't really listened to anything on audio recently, even though I was thinking, Gail, about getting Becoming, so I can have a partial experience of listening to her read it. Mm -hmm. I definitely recommend that. Reading uh, or listening for 19 hours, um, was that tough? You know, it wasn't at all. I was really daunted by it because I was like, oh, God, 19 I hours know. is so long. And no, it was such a pleasure. I mean, I was glad when it was done because I felt some accomplishment and <laughs> it, it was long. But it was it was not tedious at all. It was not boring. There was, you know, always something interesting coming up next. And so, no, that, that I, I, you can ask Nicole, I don't like anything long I don't like to commit to long books or long audiobooks and I'm glad I made an exception for this good yeah yeah all right so before we get into our specific book recommendations we have some questions for Mary yes okay so let me get to my questions all right so we've already covered what you're reading right now oh I want to make a comment on that just because um, I am reading the girls at 17 Swan Street and I would probably caution anybody who has any type of eating disorder to be really careful about reading this book it's it's pretty dark Tr triggering uh yeah i have like one of my dearest friends is um struggles with eating disorders her whole lifetime and so i'm listening to this um on audio and i'm just immediately thinking this is a book that she can't go near because she's really healthy right now and i just wouldn't want anything to trigger her so this is a, it's a pretty like true i think experience based on myself having a really good friend of mine who who struggles with this as an adult is is it um the main theme of the book it is yep 17 swan street okay. is a home where adult women go to um heal from and and learn how to to you know recover from anorexia and bulimia oh okay that's very good to know yeah so is that the main plot or is that sort of the some of the background where the story takes place? The books it takes place there is um, a woman who is in her late 20s and married and she's a dancer and they've just moved to the U.S. And I'm probably maybe 25% of the way in because I'm listening to it, right? So I'm um, probably three or four hours in and... It'll be interesting to see what kind of uncovers, but uh, I can tell you that I don't like listening to it. For I listen to it when I walk the dogs, and I just think it's just it's not triggering for for me. I, um, but it's triggering just because it's a pretty dark topic, right? To to listen to. So the author's doing right. a great job because you feel compassionate for this woman who's going through this. Mm. I have that on my shelf. Yeah, I would read it. I mean, I think it's probably going to be a fantastic book unless the ending. I mean, it's it's really a good book. I just think that if 
some people in the audience are um, have any issues with it, they, with eating disorders at all, I would probably shy away from it. Right. Gail, that brings me, you mentioned, uh, Mary's just asking you about the 19 hours. What is your mm-hmm. situation in terms of listening to books now? Because you used to listen in your car, and now you walk yeah. to work, right? <laughs> so was this 19 hours over two months of five-minute walks yeah. to work? I wish I walked to work. I don't because I'm usually driving some subset of my children to school and then I just come straight to work. So sadly, I don't walk to work. Maybe when the summer comes and they're out of school, I'll be able to do that more. Um, No, you're right. I have a super short commute. So I got really creative on this one. Uh, I brought the iPhone in the shower when I took a shower. (laughs) I was like, you know, a book is really good when I'm bringing it in the shower. But you were reading a different book when you were drying your hair. I was reading a different book when I was drying my hair. That's a good point. There's a book that's been sitting in my bathroom for the last like month that I only read when I dry my hair. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. But then I guess you could I, not listen and dry your hair at the same time. No, no, no I can't listen and dry. And so I didn't have. I, I I left the Michelle book in my car because that way, if I was sitting waiting for my daughter, like for example, I'd pick her up at rehearsal, and she seems to always be the last kid out. So. I often be sitting there for 15 minutes and then I would just pick up the, the print and then because it's faster to read the print while I'm sitting there than the audio. But yeah, I had um, Michelle with me when I was walking the dog. And I think at one point I had her with me at the supermarket. And, you know, anytime I had a spare moment to listen, I was listening. When I was cooking, I had the phone going. So, um, you know, having the book unscribed is very helpful because then I could just take that with me wherever I go. And I just crammed it in. So, yeah, sadly, my commute is really short, I mean, which is great for many reasons, but it has definitely put a dent in it. So I would say that book took me probably almost three weeks to get through on audio, maybe even more. I can't remember when I started. I could look that up. But um, it's so long. But I did, yeah, I did pick the print up and, you know, hammer out a chapter here or there, and that, that cut, cut it down a little bit on audio. I almost didn't want to because I just loved hearing her voice so much. So it was, I would almost rather have just done more inefficiently, but then I got to hear her talk. It was really weird. At one point she was talking about dropping her kids off at school and I was like turning into the driveway to the same school. Like I was like, oh my God, Michelle is talking about this driveway right now. (laughs) (laughs) Like being in the Secret Service van, which I of course was not in the Secret Service van, but it just, uh, it was just making me laugh because I was like, in some very, very small ways, my life is similar to hers. <laughs> and it, it takes some very big detours <laughs> apart from each other. But, um, but that was kind of fun, just, you know, being in D.C. and seeing what she was talking about. Okay. Back to questions for Mary. Okay. All right. Sorry, my computer went to sleep while I was chatting. It's the story of our life. Went. Okay. Oh, God. Always. So I apologize for the click clicking of my keyboard. Okay. So Mary, back to the questions for you. So tell us about an author that you have read almost all of his or her books. Um, probably um, Thritni Umnagar. I've read mm. all of hers except for mm. her most recent, which I'm actually waiting to read. I'll read it here soon. I just want to make sure that life is calm enough where I can really just jump into the book. I just think her writing style is so beautiful. Is uh, the one you didn't read, is it Everybody's Son? Or does she have one after that? Yeah, no, she has a new release right now called The Secrets Between Us, which is a sequel to The Space Between Us. 
Hmm. I think I read The Space Between Us. Yeah. It was a pretty popular book of hers in 2006. Um, Tell us about a book that everyone else has read, but that you haven't read. Oh, the list would be very long. I was trying to, I was really struggling with this last night. I was trying to think of some books that I have not read. I haven't, and I I think, Gail, I don't think you've read this either based on what I've heard you guys talk about. I haven't read The Goldfinch. Um, I also haven't read The Handmaid's Tale. And dare I say this out loud, but I don't think I have read Pride and Prejudice. <gasps> my god we might have to disconnect right in a second <laughs> i've read i've read like i've seen every movie i've read oh, i've read Mary. yeah i think her whole entire works but i actually don't remember reading this um so i i oh always it's probably read the it. one book that i always think like hmm i've read emma i've read you know i i and i just like i don't know if i've read pride and prejudice oh it's so good I don't know if I've read any of her other books in entirety, in their entirety. Really? Maybe North Anger Abbey. Never read Sense and Sensibility? I didn't really like Sense and Sensibility. Well, it's not as good as Pride and Prejudice. I I think Marianne just annoyed me, and I couldn't finish. Um, She doesn't get palatable till the end of the book, or at least she doesn't until the end of the movie, when she's had some heartbreak and she gets gets realistic, which is kind of horrible to say, because she has all her high-spirited youth in the beginning, but she's so annoying. Well, I would highly recommend that you read Pride and Prejudice, because it's such a pleasure. It's so good. I'm not saying, like, oh, that's an important book to read. I'm just saying you'll love it. Like, it's just... Oh, I'm sure I will. I'm jealous that you haven't (laughs) read it, because then I would love to experience it again. Have you read any of the, like, eligible... Oh, yeah, I've read, I think, all of them. I just think I haven't read... Yeah. Um, So, I just haven't... If I've read it, and I think I would remember it just based on everybody talking about it, um, my book club... You yeah, know, the the ladies in my book club um, just adore uh, Jane Austen. I mean, I adore Jane Austen. I just I don't remember reading it. Yeah, that's All the right, perfect well. layered novel. I feel like each time you read it, you feel sympathy or empathy for someone different. You know, you really get their perspective. Like I think reading Unmarriageable really helped me with Mrs. Bennett, or to look at Mrs. Bennett because you know she's just so lampooned in that novel and so you know considered so shallow but really she just wants the best for her girls which is to marry well at that particular time yeah and, and she's alive right shallow, so she still. has to yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> yeah at least she thought about it mr bennett you know i don't know he mr. was a bennett little more progressive he was fine with his daughters being independent <laughs> No, I think. <laughs> no, I'm in kidding. Day, I mean, in that or, day, I yeah. mean, independent isn't like, like today, right? I'm just saying, letting them find their way. <laughs> or I hope so. That's what I would hope. <laughs> All right. So tell us about a book that you hated that everyone else liked. So um, I struggle with the word hated. So let's just say disliked or didn't like as much as others. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't love American Marriage, which I know was. A really popular book in 18 it was up for some awards i know um listening to you guys you you both loved it i i actually went on and was reading some book reviews last night and and found that there are several people out there that are friends of mine that had the same struggle that i had and it was just not feeling a connection to the characters um i just i i just wanted more and i i didn't find that i was overly concerned 
with with the characters other than I wish I would have heard even more of Roy's voice in the book mm-hmm. is that is he the one who was in prison he's the yeah, one that was in prison nice. yeah yeah um, and things so and I, I did I felt a little satisfaction in seeing that a lot of people were giving it four and five star reviews just because of the, the topic and the injustice piece which you know is is a topic that maybe we could suggest authors to write and discover do a little bit more discovery on rather than um, women whose husbands have broken up with them <laughs> right um, so and then um, I put my brilliant friend have you guys read this trilogy no Mm-mm. I have my brilliant friend though I want to read it okay I found it, it there was just so much detail in it that the story didn't progress fast enough I mean, it, it talks about, like, putting on your socks. Like, it's like just, it was just kind of slogged along. And I have friends who just recommended it to me, and I just, I couldn't even imagine reading the second book or the third book. And I wonder if, <laughs> I wonder if they, the pace picks up, because it's the, the same characters now, they're adults, right? And so I'm wondering if it moves on. So I'd be curious to, to see if anybody has felt the way I did in the first book and has, would tell me to, no push forward <laughs> and read it. So, and then Gail, I totally agreed with you all year last year whenever you talked about the Tucker House. About which the one? Tucker, the Turner. The Turner House? Or yeah, I put Tucker House, but yeah, the Turner House. Turner yeah. House. Oh yeah, that was so disappointing. It was really disappointing. Mm-hmm. I wish I had. I oh. actually listened to that book too, and I wish I had those eight hours back. <laughs> yeah, <Right? laughs> I think I. I think I may have done that one on audio also. Oh yeah, that was so disappointing. Yeah. And how come no one else agrees with us? <laughs> I don't understand. Oh, my God. Yeah. Nicole, did you never read that one, did you? No. Is that Angela Flournoy? Flournoy, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay, so if I came up to you right now and gave you 25 bucks and sent you into your favorite bookstore, what would you buy? I'd buy Unmarriageable. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. She's got to get in the latest retelling. Do you know that there? I think there <laughs> is another Pride and Prejudice themed book, and I feel like it's—I um, don't know if it's in India or Pakistan, but it's coming out in June. I was just reading about it. Of course, I can't remember anything else about it. But so this might be the year of Pride and Prejudice, uh, Pride and Prejudice in South Asia. Ooh. I'm here for it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and with Crazy Rich Asians, you know, the movie was so popular that you just, you you just don't know what current events and just um, what we're watching and escaping with how that moves into other aspects, right? With books and movies and TV shows and things. All right, Gail. So same question for you. 25 bucks, favorite bookstore, what do you buy? If you gave me 25 bucks... I would be tempted by Unmarriageable, but I might pick up the ensemble, which I've really wanted to read for a long time now. Is it Asia? Who's the author for that? Oh, I don't know her name. I can look it up. It's like AJ something. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, It's a book about, it's like a chamber orchestra, like four or five people who have been performing together forever. And it's kind of like the behind the scenes intrigues of that. I think I gave that book to my mom and I think I, as a gift and I asked her if I could borrow it, but she had like lent it to someone and doesn't remember who. So if you gave me money, I might go buy it again. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Nicole? Yeah. Gail, you mentioned this on the show, Trust Exercise by Susan Choi. 
Oh, yeah. I would get that one. Oh, good. I have that at home. It's written up in the latest Marie Claire. They call it a twisty novel that follows uh, two freshman drama students in love and the disturbing role their theater arts teacher plays in their relationship. Oh, my God. That's like Kat Nicole written all over it. Yes. So sounds so good. Um, Oh, good. Okay. I'm going to get to that one next. You said you got that through a friend, right? I did. I have a friend who's friends with the author, and she sort of sent her my name and said, can you get her a copy? And <laughs> like two days later, it showed up in my house. Oh, oh, I also started another book yesterday, which I wanted to mention. It's called, what is it called? Blanking what it's called. It's Nora Krug. Um, it's her graphic novel, it's, although it's not really a novel because it's a graphic memoir, I guess you call it. Is it Reckoning? And it's about um, growing up in Germany post-war. Oh, Belonging. That's right. It's called Belonging because I remember thinking it was similar to Becoming. Um, Growing up in Germany post-World War II, like several decades after World War II, but what it's like to grow up there with the guilt of the Germans and how she kind of, how the Holocaust became part of her consciousness. She's not Jewish, so how did she sort of learn about it and then about what it's like to live with that as your your country's history. So it's a graphic memoir, and um, I, I don't know, I was sort of looking around for books last night for this show and doing some research, and I my hand kind of passed over it, and I just grabbed it off the shelf because I've been wanting to read it for a while, so I just read the first, like, 20 pages, and I really like it. Sounds good. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about some books where the setting really enhanced the experience of reading it. Okay, so Mary, why don't you get us started off? Like, what what were the books that you selected that had a strong sense of place, strong identity? Like, what books are you recommending that we read from um, other countries? Yeah, let's see. So I'm going to give a few that I have a few little, tiny little story issues with, but they feel like they've really, if you want to travel there, they, that it's a really good representation of the of the city and the location. The Italian Party... That book, oh, yeah. that book is a really, if you really feel like you're there, um, mm-hmm. y- you know, in, in the story and in the setting. That was really good. Tangerine, that takes place in Morocco. There's just one piece of the story that I find that I, I struggled with while I was reading it, and that's that um, it's a female who goes on trips by herself in, in a country that's not safe and you know something happens to her on a day and I just think like I don't know and from a common sense standpoint why and I just really struggle this as somebody who travels by myself quite a bit my husband travels internationally and will be in a location and in like a third world emerging markets for two weeks at a time and so I go and travel and explore during the day and it maybe I I just pull that forward like I just couldn't imagine not caring about my safety enough to to just you know, get off and go and wander off of a bus without a chaperone or something in some of these places. So, um, but I felt like it really resonated and really felt, you know, you could really feel the city and come to life there. Have you read, You, I know so you've read both of those. did you feel like the characters could, could not, should not have traveled as much as they did in Tangerine? I think they should have traveled as much. You know, there's a part in the book where just something goes awry and I don't want to really share too much that, um, you know when they she takes a, a day trip, and the day right. trip goes wrong. I just I found that a little far fetched that that would even happen. 
Hmm. I couldn't imagine I don't know a if hotel. I thought too much about it because probably because of when it was set. Yeah. But I also don't really remember what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I would say if somebody's looking for a book set in Morocco and getting a feel for it, um, you know, I think it's a really, really good book. And then, yeah, I thought it was this question when you, when you guys sent it to me, um, it really, there's a couple different ways you can look at this, right? It's books that feel like give you a, a sense of what the city feels like. Um, or books that you tr- want to travel to and that you find that you're always selecting. Like I tend to pick a lot of books some, for some reasons that in either Africa or the Middle East. And I don't know if it's because authors in the last few years have been writing a lot of books in those areas or if I'm picking books that are set in Paris, like the Paris apartment, right? And you, you can really feel the streets of Paris and the Paris apartment. Mm-hmm. Which way did you guys pick books yeah. based on? Um, we tend to leave it open and then talk yeah, about right what we did in in each instance. Yeah, and like, contemporary versus historical too, right? So it's a really good question because I think you could probably can have a couple different conversations on it. Definitely, I think I picked books that um, were less. I, I picked them less because there were places I wanted to go, and more because I thought that the city or setting played a really big role in the book itself where you know it this the place became a character or people acted as they did because of where they were as opposed to like oh I wanted to go there so like the first book that I picked was State of Wonder by Ann Patchett where this American scientist kind of goes down the Amazon River and it's super remote and it's kind of all about this all the confusion and the um I don't know, the disorientation she felt being in this extremely different environment where she was cut off with all communication. Um, I also picked this book called Hausfrau, which I read a few years ago, in which an American expat is living in Switzerland in this very constricting life. She's a housewife with three kids. Her kind of aloof and cold husband is a banker. And it's set in this city where every the trains run exactly on time and everyone is kind of a little bit repressed and proper and um, restrained and she kind of rails against all of it and she starts behaving really badly and like mm-hmm. spirals off into depression and it seemed like that book the setting in Zurich was so was just so important for the plot of the book I'm going to have to read that so um, I my husband works for a company that's headquartered in Switzerland, so um, we spend a lot of time in Switzerland, and you just described um, exactly what Switzerland is like and a lot of what the struggles that the wives have when they move over there. Oh. I mean, that is a very common, very common um, theme. <laughs> I'll warn you, it's really grim. It's just like a really depressing book. So just consider yourself warned. It's also great on audio. That's an excellent narrator for that one. So that would be a good one. Um, I also picked Do Not Become Alarmed by Maylee Malloy, who wrote a book about um, some fam, two families from, I think, Los Angeles who go on this cruise in the Caribbean in this kind of unnamed uh, country that cruise stops and they go for this day trip and then the kids end up disappearing. They all have kids and the kids disappear and 
you're tracking what's happening to the kids along with what's happening to the parents. And it's very much the setting is really important because they're in this country where there's a lot of kind of violence and kidnapping and racial tension. And um, it, that felt very much like uh, the, the setting was extremely important and evocative for that book too. Interesting. So Mary mentioned the Italian party and the Italian party was one of the novels that was on my list. And I would agree with her. Like I had some issues with the story. I think it was a little bit slower than I liked. And I, you know, I don't know in terms of what my expectations were when I read the novel, but it is so much um, like being in in Rome in the 19, well, I don't know about the 1950s part. I mean, I think Rome is not one of those cities that made, makes, I guess, or had not adapted all that much. It's not like it's one of those modern, modern feeling cities. So I think it was just really easy to see the similarities between the Rome that I saw and experienced and Italy that I experienced and it was so evocative of that time period from the food and the narrow streets and the interactions of the people on the streets. It was sort of a spy novel, I want to say. It's about like this young American couple who who moved to Italy to set up house and she doesn't know that he's a spy, but then she, she's, I think he works for the CIA, but she's also keeping secrets from him. So it's all about like, the secrets in their young marriage and in their household and what they're each doing in this neighborhood. So it was one of those stories where I don't know that it was necessarily a story whose plot line would have drawn me to it, but it was so interesting to read it. Is this the same guy who wrote the book about the newspaper, the imperfectionists, or is this a different author? Oh, is it Tom? Tom Rackman or yeah. something? Mm-hmm. Same guy. Okay. I didn't read any of those. You haven't read his, did you? you didn't read I haven't that? read any of them. Because he also wrote the book about the American journalists who work for the newspaper in Rome, right? Actually, no, this is not the same person. He re- he wrote a book called The Italian Teacher. Oh, And that was also on my confused. list, okay. and I didn't read it. Christina Lynch wrote The Italian Party that we're talking okay. about. Got it. Sorry. Oh, Carry yeah. on. <laughs> no, no problem. The other book that I put on my list because it was just really evocative of place so much so that I it renewed my interest in taking French and I took a French class last fall is Killing It by Kamas Davis, which is about this woman who loses her job as an editor of a magazine and she decides that she wants to become a butcher and she goes to France I I think she like maxes out her credit card to go to the countryside of Provence to study animal husbandry and is that what you call it is it husbandry Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um so yeah so it's all about her struggling with the language but just getting immersed in this culture where all all parts of the animal are respected and used and just seeing all of that, sort of like a farm-to-table, finding-yourself kind of memoir. I thought it was really good, and it just like gives you such a, such a, I don't know, it just puts you in the Paris countryside, I guess I'll say, in that slower type of life where people take their time and 
where dinners are really long and they really talk to each other and you can, I don't know, have fresh fruit for dessert and everything that's a part of your meal is is a part of life. It's very romantic for someone who grew up in the city, I think. It sounds interesting. And Nicole, another book that I included in, on this list is one that you and I both read, which was Stay With Me by Ayobami Abadeyo. I don't know if I said that right. Um, is that Nigeria? Yes. Okay, so it's about a couple... Nigerians having a moment. Yes, they sure <laughs> especially this weekend. Um, it's funny, my daughter did a Model UN thing over the weekend, and she was representing Nigeria, and one of the issues they were going to be discussing was UN election monitoring, and like in the middle of the whole thing, the Nigerian election was postponed. Right, right, yeah. Very timely. Um, but that book, it's a modern couple who is married, and they have a number of... Um, some infertility issues and then things kind of go from there in terms of how they deal with this and then there's layers of dishonesty and stuff that happens but it's interesting because it's a modern it takes place in modern day and it's a modern couple but yet um, the author weaves in a lot of kind of traditional Nigerian stuff in there and there's um, you know remedies and wives tales and things that happen that really reflect the culture of the country as well Kind of more historical, and I thought that was uh, I thought that was really interesting. I love that book. My sister, the serial killer, is also set in Nigeria, and it is really like I really like the way they navigate its you know modern day Nigeria in terms of how they deal with police corruption and how you interact or you know bribe people and being able to do just sort of go about your normal life. And also just the traditional structure in terms of how family operates and the things that you do to protect your family, which are at play in my serial, uh, my sister, the serial killer. Cause of course there is, you know, there's this tension around how much is too much and, you know, what do you really owe to members of your family? How far do you go? Anyone else have any other books they want to add? Um, I might add. Love and Ruin. So if you're interested in Cuba, that's really um, a, a nice book. Um, I don't... Let's see. Nicole, you and I went and saw the author last spring. Um, I don't think you've re- You haven't read this yet, though, right? No, I read The Paris Wife. Mm-hmm. Which is another one that's just really right. evocative of the time period. Exactly. And, and Paris. Yeah, and the same with this book, too, because this is, you know... The same that, with this that is, Cuba. Yeah, it is, and it's, you know, Hemingway's... Uh, and, and it's escaping me whether they were actually married um, or not, but it, yep. it, it actually describes it fairly well, and, you know, she travels around the world and is in war-torn countries and things, too, so you really feel like you're there. They do. She does a really good job at, at you feeling that the location would wherever we're at in the book, um, you're there. That's so great. So Mary, briefly before we end, why don't you tell us like about your, where we can find you online and what you write about? Sure. Um, so my blog is called cloverandfig.com. So, uh, and right now I'm doing a cookbook series. So I'm reviewing cookbooks probably for the first half of this year, maybe even a little bit longer, depending on how the response goes. Um, just I cook and entertain quite a bit, and I've had a lot of people asking me for recipes, and I'm, 
I don't consider myself to be like an overly talented cook or anything. I'm just learning as I'm kind of going along. So the the recipes that I tend to to pick, um, I think, are fairly easy for pretty much anybody, regardless of your skill set. And it just kind of came out of out of my husband and I. He because of his work. Sorry, I was like stumbling on my thoughts there for a minute. Um, He calls me often at like noon and will tell me. He has, you know, 12 international guests in town and would would like to have them over for dinner tonight. And then I have to just, you know, rearrange my work schedule a little bit and throw a party. I love seeing her Instagram stories because she is telling the truth. It'll be the day before and she'll be like... My husband says we're having 50 over for dinner. This is what I'm planning to do. It, it happens all pretty regularly to the point now where people always tend to ask me, you know, do you get nervous? Or That's the com- the most common comment I get back is, I'd be so nervous. And I'm like, you know what? I've learned that people, when you open the door and you give them a glass of wine and you have a candle lit, like they're not expecting more than that. And so whatever you're envisioning from Pinterest or, um, you know, any magazine that you tend to be looking at, they don't know what your vision was and what's kind of inspiring you. So just you know, kind of fake it till you make it kind of thing, right? And people are always really happy. And I just try to create uh, interesting meals that surprise people, but are pretty simple. And then I'm almost a vegan, like I'm very close to being vegan. And my husband is carnivore. And, you know, so sometimes we'll have Muslims and, uh, you know, Jewish faith and, and things all at the table, because it's, you know, an international meal. And so you're trying to come up with a meal that serves many different um, food limitations that and dietary restrictions that people have uh, at the same time. So it's it's an interesting place to have fallen into um, from where I was at like seven or eight years ago <laughs> to, to doing this. So um, that's what I do on the blog. And then I also, um, over the last six or seven years, I've traveled to about 40 or 50 countries with my husband as part of um, his job. And so I blog about the locations and then anything books I just have on Goodreads. Nice. All right. Well, before we sign off, um, thank you for listening to another episode. We would love it if you could leave us a review on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to your shows and also to share the Readerly Report with your friends who like to read. Um, We love getting new listeners and we love hearing what you think. So the reviews and the recommendations really, really matter to us. So if you don't mind, take a second. Pause whatever you're doing. Just go to iTunes and leave us a review. That would be great. All right. Happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. 